the last time I was here a couple of weeks ago, we, we had just started a, a series preparing for the future now. And uh, today, this is part three, we've talked about what is necessary for preparing for our future. If we don't prepare now, we have no future, okay? That's just, whatever we do now is what we will do uh, next week, next year, ten years from now. And so we talked a little bit about the importance of prayer, and we talked uh, the last time uh, uh, about faith. And today I, I just want to talk to you a little bit about commitment, okay? Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we, we've, been, we've been talking about preparing, and we had a, a quote that we're using. It's, uh, most people have the will to win, but few have the will to prepare to win. I found who that quote, the source of that quote. It's, it's the infamous basketball coach, Bobby Knight. Uh, like him, love him, hate him, whatever. He, he prepared basketball players to win. That, that's the only, that was, that, was his, uh, that was his drive. And so the reality of it, though, is most of our preparation, the preparation I'm talking about, what I'm going to share with you over the next three or four weeks before we begin our Christmas sermons, most of that preparation is done behind the scenes, out of the spotlight, uh, away from the cheering crowds and, and, and the pats on the back by the multitudes that, that just love to crowd around you when somebody has a victory. I mean, I, I, I often, uh, uh, at, at sports events, you'll, you'll see the, the five guys, if it's a basketball team, or the 11 guys, if it's a, a, a football team, the nine guys, if it's a, a baseball team, you'll see them win a big victory, and then there's just there's a crowd of folks. Very often, the fans they crowd around and they start to celebrate just like they did it. Now they feel like they did, but the reality of it is, those individuals on that team are the ones that prepared. The rest of them just got in on the glory, and so sometimes the preparation. Well, all the time, the preparation I'm talking about. There are not going to be any crowds around. <laughs> okay, it's 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 going to be, it's just going to be you and God, me and God, us and God, and uh, and and genuine preparation demands some things. It demands our time. It it demands our sweat. It demands our energy. Uh, it demands that our will be disciplined and become disciplined. It it stretches us, and what happens in that stretching process? We are literally reforged. We are, we, God heats us up through situations and circumstances, sometimes through stress, sometimes through failure, disappointment, discouragement. He heats us up and He reforges us. And, and preparation usually forces out, uh, it, it forces out those things that we don't need and it forces each of us to face our deepest fears. It, it forces us to, uh, to face what scares us to death. And then it kind of pushes us beyond the boundaries of where we're comfortable. It pushes us past our physical boundaries. I, I have, I've, I've grown up with sports. I've watched it all my life. And I, I just I love the stories about an athlete achieving something that physically he or she could not do. But they pushed themselves. And it was in that moment of pushing that they achieved greatness. And so very often it, it, it pushes us back 
past our physical limits. It also pushes us past our, our emotional and our mental. And listen, it's going to push us past our spiritual limitations. Every one of us has limited ourselves to what we think we can do. But God says we can do anything in Christ Jesus. So the limitation does not come from God. It, it comes from us. Real preparation, though, comes with a, a cost. You don't hear this very often, but it's true. Listen, being a real Christian comes with a cost. You say, well, but Jesus uh, died on the cross and, and salvation's a free gift. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But walking with Jesus in intimacy and in discipleship has a cost. And, uh, and, and I don't think most people realize that. They think it's going to be a, a, a tip throw through the tulips and, a, and a, a, an easy trip. I know in, in one of the villages we worked in last year, if you, uh, if you became a part of an evangelical church, your whole, the whole community shunned them. They, they, they were left out on their own. That happens all the time in, in parts of the world. We, we talk about suffering in America. We don't really understand suffering. Uh, none of us really have to suffer yet. Let me add that, yet. But real preparation comes with a cost. And, and very often that cost is so high that too many people are unwilling to pay it. kind of preparation I'm talking about, it demands commitment. It, it demands a level of commitment that most people are unprepared or really are unwilling to make. For, for most believers, their commitment is to themselves. Now, I'm going to wait out in some places today. They're not particularly encouraging. They're just reality. Okay. It, it, very often we commit, but we commit to ourselves. And, 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 and we commit to what we ourselves desire rather than what Jesus desires. Uh, Christianity in America, for the most part, is very individualistic. It's very one-oriented, me. It's somewhat self-centered. It's uh, a devotion to self rather than the commitment uh, a corporate commitment to Jesus Christ and, 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 and to his church and what Jesus desires. When it comes to being fully involved in a local church, many, many Christians attempt to serve and to please two masters. They want to serve themselves and please themselves and Jesus. And what happens is when we are trying to do that, Jesus usually gets shoved into second place. And he's either in first place or he's not in that place. That's just reality and so what happens is we we delude ourselves into believing that we can we can do that and, and but Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 no person no one no man or woman can serve two masters for either he or she will hate the one and love the other or he or she will hold on to one and despise the other and that's true if I'm serving myself you know what I become the most important person in my world I may talk about Jesus, and I may, I may use words, but, but I don't really love Jesus the way Jesus calls us to love. So if you and I want to be 
more important than if we want what is more important to us than what Christ wants, we are headed for a dead end. There's a wall at the end of that alley that you will smack into. And when you smack into it, you won't be healthy anymore. You, you will find that place sooner or later. The predominant culture in the modern church in America, and I'm just speaking for America, is, is one of narcissistic individualism. Narcissism is being in love with yourself. Okay? Individualism is basically I, me, and my is what matters. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a narcissistic individualism. It's all about what I need and what makes me happy. Everything today in our culture, our Western culture, feeds that, that mindset and blinds people and reinforces, and I'm just going to say this word, the idiocy, okay? The idiocy that I am the most important person in my little world. That message gets reinforced every day. You say, well, how's that true? How's that social media? You know what? You can create your own persona. You can be anybody you want to. And, and people all over the world can see it and ooh and ah, and you can feel good about it. But it's not real. It's, it's a vapor. It's fog. And so it happens with social media. It happens with advertisements. It happens with entertainment. It happens in the news media. It happens in politics. It's all about me and, it's, and what I want. And, it, it's, 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 and if it's all about me, then I will only commit to those things that make me happy, that cost me little or nothing, and fulfill me right now. If I don't get exactly what I want, I will take my toys and I'll go somewhere else. And when a person is consumed with me and my, or, or me and I and myism, that's, that's kind of what I call it, that, that, that kind of garbage, they, they self-imprison themselves in a little isolated cell and they cut themselves off from everybody that's real. Folks, we got to, you know, and I'm, I'm I'm, I'm not throwing rocks at, at the social media pages. They have benefit if we use them right. But if we feed this narcissistic self-image uh, that I'm the most important person in the world, they're deadly. They create atmospheres, environments that, that people are in, and, and they don't know how to interact. They don't, know, they, they don't know anything but what's in that little screen. Now, I'm not throwing rocks at people that do that, okay? Not. But if you walk around like this all day, you're going to miss most of what Jesus has for you. Okay? I'm just telling you. And so what happens is uh, they become consumed with, with themselves. And if you get consumed with yourself, you have a 100% chance of being frustrated. How many of you realize you're not nearly as good as you think you are? You're not nearly as interesting as you think you are. You're not nearly as smart as you think you are. But we, we lull ourselves into believing that we are. And what happens is there's a crash somewhere and frustration takes over. 
and there's dissatisfaction. And what happens is that person wakes up and they are utterly isolated, completely lonely, separated. Why? Because that person has fallen in love with themselves and narcissism cannot satisfy any of the natural longings or desires that God has purposely placed in each of us. We need to realize that the me inside of you, inside of us, cannot fulfill the who God created us to be. Let me say that again. We need to realize that the me inside of all of us can't fulfill the who God created you and me to be. It just can't. You and I were created, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we were created for community. We were not created to be by ourselves. Now, I know some of you like being by yourself. I personally like a little quiet time. I'm going to have some this week because I've spent the week with, a, with you know, a dozen people, my, some of my closest friends, but I just need a little time to regroup and get my head back on right. But God didn't create us to be alone. Uh, that's what it, God meant when he says in, in Genesis chapter 2, the very first part of of verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for him to be by himself. Me, my, and I couldn't meet all of Adam's God-given needs. Well, if you'd had a cell phone, it probably could have. No, it couldn't have, okay? A computer wouldn't have done it. He needed somebody else living and breathing who completed him, who was like him yet different from him. And so uh, God created a community by fashioning. Verse, the latter part of, of that verse 18 says, a helper, suitable, uh, uh, one that corresponded to him, one that completed him. And so when, when Adam and, and when the man and the woman came together, they completed each other. They were one human being. And yet there were two. God lives in community. Whether you realize it or not, He has always been in community with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, so community is not something we came up with. It's something that, that God... I don't know if it got... It would just happen because God's eternal. It has always been that way. So we need to realize that, that Jesus comes and he fulfills that picture of relationship that were, was in Adam and Eve. He for, I'm not going to be able to say that word today. He fulfills that picture of relationship as the last Adam. And he does it by forming and creating a corporate body, a community for himself. And that community... Is, is not an individual. It's not me, but it's we. It, it, it's, 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 it's the church, and it's, it's, he creates it so that he can affect the whole world for eternity. Listen, we're not going to affect anything if, if we, our understanding of the church is rooted in a belief system that's all about me. What can I get out of this? It's not what I can get, it's what can I do. How can I father... Father, the, uh, further the, the plan of Jesus Christ. In that me mindset, uh, the driving force is about possessing and about getting. Okay? 
in the mindset that I'm talking about, it's, it's purposely giving. And the reality of it is, is God's, God's plan is, is diametrically opposed to what the me, mine, I want. Jesus said this in Acts 20, 35. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Every one of us has to have, we must have an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't come to Christ in groups, in herds. We come individually. But when we come individually, we become a part of a corporate body. Jesus only has one body, and it's made up of all of us in here, out there, around the world. None of us is individuals of the church, but we are still pieces of the body of Christ. And that's so important. If the body is to probably function, every individual part has to remain under control of the head. It has to remain under Christ. You say, well, I can't do what you do. Well, I can't do what you do. You say, well, I don't know what I do. You do something. You say, how do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. I know that. I don't have any doubt that, that there is something that only you can do because the Spirit of God lives in us. So we have to cooperate with all the other parts. And individualism has to bow. It has to become corporate unity. What's best for the whole body rather than what's best for me, my, and I. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 14. It's for even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by or in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were made, all made to drink one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Let me give you, let me give you an illustration. Just imagine you're standing on a battlefield. You have a sword in, in your right hand, you have a shield in your left hand, and directly across from you is an enemy. And that enemy is, is similarly equipped. And he's determined to kill you. Not just to wound you, he's determined to kill you. Because if he kills you, you will never pose a problem again. You're in his way. You're in the path he wants to walk in. You are between him and what he is after. And so what, what would happen if, if that left arm, and if you're left, if you're, if you're right on, I mean handed or left handed, just adjust the shield and the sword, okay? I'm too foggy today to try to do it myself, so I'm going to use what I'm, I'm going to use, okay? <coughs> Let's just imagine that your hand and your arm decides your left arm that's got the shield on it, decides, you know what? I'm not going to raise my arm. I'm not lifting this shield. I'm tired of doing all the heavy work. The right hand gets to flick that sword, and he gets all the glory, but me, I do the lifting. I'm the one that, that sweats. I'm the one that, that strains. I'm the one that's sore after all the battles. I'm not doing it. Or just imagine your right arm got upset. And say, you know what, I'm tired of my, of my precious fingers being squeezed around this leather hand grip. 
And I'm tired of lifting this thing. I'm tired of hacking. and I'm tired of the blood. I'm tired of all that stuff. You know what I want to do? I want to hang loose. And I want to play finger puppets today. Or what if your legs decide they'd rather disco dance than just provide a solid foundation? They just kicked in and went to boogieing instead of digging in for what's coming. What if one of your individual parts wavered in its commitment to the whole body? I can tell you what will happen. There will be a swift and certain decapitation of your head. Okay? You say, Nelson, that's pretty gross. That's war. Okay? And instantly, me and my and I will die. And folks, that's what happens every day. The disciples of Jesus that are more interested in themselves than they are in Christ. They carry their head around under their arm because the devil lops it off every day. It's the same show, second verse, same as the first. Every day. And listen, when it comes to the church, the body of Christ, there has to be total commitment and it's non-negotiable unity of purpose and direction is essential commitment is is the most is most often sacrificial you have to do what you don't necessarily want to do for the betterment of somebody else very often that's just commitment when i played football there are lots of things i didn't like to do but i had to do it or the person next to me got his head knocked off or the person that was running the ball just got laid out, or the quarterback, he just got killed. So I might not enjoy it, but I had to do it because I was a part of a team. I was a part of a unity, and there was a commitment there. Commitment requires that every part sacrifice for the betterment, the health, and the future of the whole. Authentic commitment. It's always, it always comes with a high price. I, I've said that earlier, but without that kind of commitment, local churches don't grow. They don't grow spiritually, and they don't usually grow numerically if there's not some commitment. They don't reach the, the next generation. And if we don't reach the next generation, folks, the local church dries up and it dies. You say, well, I... I, I just ride around and look. Go to Europe. Visit museums that were once churches filled with people. If we don't reach the next generation, we die. A local church was designed by Jesus not to be like, but to look like the community they lived in. Okay? They weren't to be weird birds. They were to be part of the community they lived in. They were different. They followed a different road. They followed a different path. They had a, a different moral system. But they looked, you know, some of them were older. Some of them were younger. Some of them were, were in, in middle age and senior adults and, and teenagers and children. Uh, some of them were well off. Some of them were middle class. Some of them were poor. That's, that's our community. And that's who we're supposed to, we're supposed to look like the community we live in in here and and so if we're going to reach the next generation we've got to reach that generation 
or eventually, if the Lord tarries, you know what? This church is not going to be here. This church is not. You listen to me on the next few sentences, okay? This church is not about us. Now, we're going to meet the needs of the body, but it's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about the ones who have yet to meet Jesus Christ. You know why I ride 1,500 miles in a, a bucking Bronco of a van? It's not because it's fun. I, I pay a price every time, some way. This time I've got Slurpees, you know, running out of my nose, and I can't hardly talk, and, and I can't hardly keep my eyes open. I go because I know God's called me to reach, to reach, to go where the one is. I, I, God took me to a passage of Scripture this week of, in, in Luke where Jesus tells uh, three parables, three stories. The, the uh, shepherd who left 99 to go find one. The woman who put aside her nine coins and went to find the one that was lost. And the father who seeks out the lost son. Jesus always goes after the one. One is the most important number to him. It's the next one, the next one, the next one. And unless we commit ourselves, that one is not that important. Well, they'll, they'll hear about Jesus some other way. Maybe not. I've, I've, I've had phone calls late at night. Hey, brother, would you go visit my buddy that I work with and share the gospel? Sure, man. Well, he's dying in the hospital. I said, have you ever shared the gospel with him? No. We worked together for 25 years. Okay. I don't mind going. But God's been setting him up for 25 years. He doesn't know who I am. He's never seen me before. Why? Because I'm more worried about me than I am about everybody else. Somehow we've got to get rid of that. We have to reach the next generation. I have to realize that church is not about me. Jesus was very, very clear. We'll finish up and we'll be done. Jesus was very, very clear when it came to commitment. He calls not for half-hearted commitment, not for a lot of commitment, 99%. He calls for total commitment. All or nothing. That's what he calls for. It's not like if I feel like it today, well, the pastor's not going to be there this Sunday. I won't be there. It's not, well, you know what? There's a sporting event on TV or, you know, the weather's nice today. I'll go somewhere else. That's not, that's not full commitment to the, to the body of Jesus. It's... Jesus calls us to sacrificial commitment where my individual desires and my wishes and my wants are secondary to the needs and the goals of the whole. I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, 26 through 28. Now, I've heard this passage explained in a hundred different ways to try to soften its uh, blow. This is a crushing verse, okay? Jesus said, if anyone, if anyone comes to me does not hate 
his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not telling us to hate our family. He's telling us that our love for them should look like hate compared to our love for him. That means he's number one. That means whatever he says do overrides everything else everybody else wants with me. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I struggle with that just like you do. Okay? We all do. But that's what he calls us to. That's the kind of discipleship. It's all or nothing. Jesus is saying that that those who are his have to be committed exclusively to him. Otherwise, you'll stop following him when things get tough. Our love for Jesus should make our love for everyone else look like hate. When disciples begin to join themselves with a teacher in Jesus today, they left their families. They left their possessions. They, they left their future plans, what daddy or mama wanted for them. They left all of that behind to walk with that teacher, to learn from that teacher, and to become like that teacher. Their teacher became the, primarily, the, the primary importance that they focused on. They took leave of their friends. They, they said goodbye to their families to follow their teacher. They abandoned things that were important, not bad things. There are a lot of good things that are good. God made them. But if I fall in love with them, they will keep me from following the teacher. So I have to let them go. I have to live life with my hands open instead of this. Everything I have told God I would not do, let me just tell you, I have lived long enough now that the last thing I told him I wouldn't do, he's now doing with me, okay? I'm just telling you, he will. It's his plan. You'll either die or do it, okay? I'm just I'm being honest with you. You'll either die or you will obey him. Now, I'm not proud of that. I just realized it this week. I told him three things I didn't want to do. And guess what? I told him the one thing I would do I would do. I never got to do that. I didn't get to sniff at that. The very thing I said I wouldn't do, that's where I ended up. And then the next thing, and now I'm entering into a different place. And I've realized that, you know what, I'm fighting against the purpose for which I was created. So I just surrendered. I said, Lord, if you can use me, Use me. Whatever you want. Whatever you want to do. They abandoned those things and they yielded up the right of their ownership. They gave up their rights. And discipleship came with a commitment to count the costs. Jesus said this. He said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. That's not sickness. Listen to me. That's not how you were raised as a child. That's not the wounds that you have. That's death. That's what that is. You're to die to everything else except Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. In other words, me, mine, I has to die. This cross, I know we wear them around our necks. necks. We, we put them on buildings, bumper stickers, but the cross in the first century meant death, the worst possible death you could die in. 
it's all in or it's not. There's all, that's the only kind of commitment Jesus will take. John the Baptist puts it this way. He says, he, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. John's a superstar. I don't know if y'all know this or not. He's a rock star in Israel in the first century. I mean, there are crowds coming from everywhere. They just want to touch him. They just want to be with him. They want an autograph. They want him to pray a prayer and rub their heads and, and all that kind of stuff. He, he's a superstar. And this is what he says. I must decrease that he might increase. You and I must die for Jesus to live in us and to live through us. Jesus says this. He says, for which of you, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost? In other words, count the cost to see if you've got enough to complete it. There is a cost, folks, that we need to count. And if, if, if you're not fully committed to Jesus, you're not going to be fully committed to his church. If you're not fully committed to Jesus, then you're not committed, or if you're not fully committed to his church, you're not committed to Jesus. You can't love Jesus and not be a part of the church. Oh, yes, I can. Uh, no, you can't. You don't worship and you don't follow a head. You follow a head who has a body, who acts in his stead. Many, Christ, many people who call themselves Christians want to be on the winning team, okay? <clears throat> they have this romantic idea that Jesus is going to sweep in and sweep them off their feet at some point, in the, but in the meantime, they can do whatever they want. They can live like, like they want to. They've said a prayer. They've asked Jesus in their heart. But they are half-hearted in their commitment to the things Jesus died for. They're non-committal. They're vague in their attendance. Their giving is, is, is just not there. Their witness is... is uh, I, I started once this morning to ask, have you ever seen... How many of you have ever seen... I'll just ask it. How many of you have ever seen a baby born? A lot of you. How many of you ever, have ever seen somebody born again? It's the same thing. It's so amazing. That's what we're here for. We're here to birth babies and to, to mature them and to feed them and to nurse them, to change their diapers so that they can birth babies and do it over and over and over again. Many, many people in the church call themselves disciples, but in reality they're nothing more than the crowd that followed Jesus because he fed them. Because they could get what me or my or I wants. But listen to me. It was true of Jesus. <clears throat> it will be true in your life if this fits you. When things get tough, you won't be there. You won't be counted on. It's not worth it. Those folks go somewhere else where everything appears to be rocking and rolling and jumping and bumping and thumping. They enjoy the benefits of winning without participating in the preparation, without making the commitment. They go through the motions. They go through the motions. Thank you. I'll probably swallow this. Somebody will have to come up here and give me the Heimlich maneuver. Listen, they don't have the will 
to prepare to win. I didn't say that. They want the glory without paying the price. Jesus had a crowd that follows him, and as long as he was handing out uh, fish and, and chips, they were right there with him. But when he said, hey, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they were gone. The same crowd that followed him, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the king, crucify him, crucify him, three days later. There was no commitment. There was no commitment. Folks, this is not about us. We can't prepare for the future without genuine commitment from individual members of this body now. Can't wait on you. Okay? Well, you either got to get in this pond or get in the other pond, whichever pond that is. You can't stand in one and half in, half out. You, have to choose. you can't serve two masters. That means... What that means is those who are in are in and those who are not are out. Now that doesn't mean they can't come, but we just don't depend on them, okay? Because I don't know if they're going to be here. I don't know if they're going to be involved. I don't know if if you ask them to serve, they're actually going to serve. And so we have to have commitment. We We have to be willing to pay the price to prepare and to have that will to prepare. What we do today determines where we will go tomorrow. And Jesus, I believe, is challenging every one of us today. And that challenge is is very simple. In fact, what I'm about to say is going to be really plain, okay? Really plain. You're not going to be able to, to misinterpret it, all right? But I think Jesus wants us to put up or shut up, okay? Put up. Or shut up. In other words, produce what you're talking about or get out of the way. He wants us to get on with it or get out of the way. You say, Nelson, that's kind of tough. No, that's reality. That's reality. I believe Jesus is, is saying to every one of us today, count the cost. Calculate it. See if, see if, if you have enough in you to pay it. And then he's telling us if you do, then commit to the cost. Jump. Bail out. Come on. Let go of everything else. And then Jesus says, then come follow me. You remember as Jesus, he's teaching on this and, and he. Uh, he has one that comes to him and says, Lord, I'll follow you, but I've got to go home and take care of some land I bought. There's another one that said something else. It's always the, the last one that, uh, that gets me. This is something that God used in my life years ago <coughs> to make me decide what I was going to do. This is the one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Can't follow me. My dad used to plow with a plow and a mule. He had a tractor, had all the implements, okay? He loved the mule. I don't know what he loved about it. The mule stank. The mule wouldn't do anything he wanted to do. You had to scream and holler, gee and holler, all day long. The mule would 
do what mules do when they need to go to the restroom all over you, and you're falling right behind them. And it's hot, nasty work. But my dad loved to plow with a, with a plow, turning plow, a scratch, all those other things. And I, I can remember as a kid, man, that looks so cool. And so I went out there one day, I said, Dad, I want to learn how to plow. It looks a lot easier than it really is. Uh, he said, well, son, I want you to get hold of the reins and grab hold of the handle, and, and I, want you to, I want you to take off. So I'm, I'm flying around along there. I thought, this is pretty good. I'm looking back and going, hey, big boy, look at me. This isn't nearly as hard as you think it is. I must be a really good whatever it's called. Well, I get out to the end of the row. That row looks like this. I didn't focus on what was ahead of me. I was too busy, you know, throwing my chest out and act like a fool. And I learned that day that, you know what, you got to fix your focus on whatever you're headed for. And you got you cannot take it off because if you do, you'll never get to the goal. I realized that my dad would line up the row with something at the end of the field. It might be a tree. It might be a fence post. It, I don't know. But but he would plow to that point. He would turn around. They were perfectly laid out. It looked like you'd done it with a tractor. That translated into my life when I was, uh, I lose track of this, probably about half of what I am now. I, I finally quit running, and I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And God said, well, I'm, I'm going to have to send you back to school because you don't know anything. I said, okay, and Kathy bought me some some uh, um, courses I could do by mail, and those ended up leading me into to where I actually went to the class. And I can remember getting there, and, and I, I, was, I just started a business <clears throat> to, and was working for myself, trying to take care of what I knew we were going to do. And, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to these classes. It's the first day, and they're giving, giving out the syllabi, the syllabus, and uh, it's got all the stuff i got to do, and I'm just overwhelmed by it. I mean, I mean, just there's no way I can do all this and do this. I, there's just no way. And I remember I told God, God, I'll do, you know, I'll take one class, and I'll be a good Sunday school teacher for you. And so I remember you had to go around, and you had to let every professor sign your sheet. I went to the last one. He was in a little room. If you knew where Southeastern Bible College was, uh, or used to be long years ago up on Pawnee, he was in one of the little well, It wasn't a little house. It was a big house, but little bitty room. He was sitting at his desk. I came in, and he said, well, tell me what's going on. And so I told him, and he looked. He, he, he didn't say anything. He signed my paper. He wrote that passage the, the, that's in Luke about the one that puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. He wrote it. I didn't know what he wrote. And he said, when you get a chance, sit down and just read this. I was feeling pretty good when I left. I got God happy. I'm happy. Everything's going to be good. I opened that up, and mm, it pierced me to the core of who I am. I struggled for six months, three months. But the next semester, I re-enrolled. I took the classes. I struggled through eight years. Not four years. Eight years. 
because I couldn't take but so many classes. I'm not telling you this to, to make you feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you the way it is. There was a price I had to pay. Okay? And then I never thought I'd get to seminary. It wasn't even a dream on my horizon. And I remember things, the door opening up, and I can remember Kathy saying, how long does it, because she knew it would take me eight years to get a four-year degree. One of my nephews said, Uncle Nelson must really be stupid. I mean, he was a little bitty boy. Little bitty boy. Kathy said, what do you mean? Well, he's been, he's been going to school forever. He's still going to school. Anyway, seminary came up, and Kathy said, how long does it take? I said, well, the catalog says you can do it in three years. Little did I know, you have to go year-round. You have to take everything. You have no room for error. But God blessed it. And I learned through that period of time, not just with school, but with working and not having enough, but having enough, and bills not having the money to pay, but them always getting paid. I learned that God will provide when we commit to Him. And God just continues, folks, to ask you for more commitment. You never reach the place where your commitment's enough. Life's easy. I'm enjoying ministry. I'm well-respected, got a great position. And all of a sudden, God says, hey, I want you to lay this down. I want you to go to Mississippi. I, I said, Lord, you mean in my... Crooked letter, crooked letter, I crooked, yes, I, I crooked letter, crooked letter, I humpback, humpback, I, yes, son. So I wrestled with him because I wanted to make sure. I wrestled with him a year. I've lived in the same place all my life. Never moved more than, we moved for six months, four or five miles away. Left everything I knew. I get there, settling in, has a great job, got great benefits, and God says, hey, remember that church you dreamed about planting 20 years ago? Yeah, Lord. The one we had the funeral for when I came to Mississippi because I knew it wasn't going to happen. He said, yeah, I want you to go home and plant that church. Now, if I hadn't committed myself, I would have quit, okay? I would have quit long before we got there. But I had learned through the commitment and, and through the, the stretching and through the, 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 uh, the, the heat, the, the, the tempering and the trying, that you know what? God is faithful. So when I stand up here and tell you God will meet your needs, I'm speaking from experience, not from a philosophy or what I read in a book. I'm speaking from experience. But he wants us to commit, folks. He wants us to count the cost. He wants us then to commit to the cost. And then he wants us to come follow him because he's already paid the cost. Okay? He's paid for it. If I will follow him and I'll stay committed to him, I will enter into everything he has promised me. And you will too. And God is looking for a people that will do that.
They're willing to get on their face and they're willing to pray. They're willing to, to believe when everything else says, no way, Jose, this cannot happen. It will not happen. He's looking for some people that say, God, I'm in regardless. And if we will be that people, folks, if you will be that person, God will use you. And he will use this church. But we have to prepare now. We can't wait for tomorrow or the future. Because if we don't prepare now, there will not be a tomorrow. There will not be a future. It'll be the same old, same old. So what I'm, I'm prayerfully asking you to do is just commit to God. Don't commit to me. I might lead you off some pathway, but God won't. Commit yourself to God. You say, but Nelson, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's happened to my family. No, I don't, but God does. And last time I read, he, he, nothing is impossible for him, which means all things are possible. So I'm just, this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. We're going to sing uh, a chorus or two. I'm going to worship. You may need to, to, to go home and sit down by yourself and, and get your calculator out and see if it's worth the cost. And if it is, wherever you're at, whatever your place is, God, I'm in. I'm committed. I'm committed, first of all, to you. And whatever you call me to do, I will do. If you do that, the commitment to the body will take care of itself. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.